It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is Will Navity's interview with the cinematographer for House of the Dragon Season 1, Episode 8, The Lord of the Tides, Catherine Goldschmidt. As hand, I speak with the king's voice on this and all other matters. Tomorrow, the high towers land their first blow. Those vipers rule in my father's name. To King's Landing, then. The sea snake has taken a grave wound in battle in the Stepstones. Who will take the Driftwood throne? The crown cannot stand strong if the House of the Dragon remains divided. This is a matter of blood, not ambition. This is a trap. Nephews? The threat of war looms. Yeah, well, I guess I first off will start by saying congratulations on your Emmy nomination. This is a excellent episode. I was just rewatching clips from it this morning to prep for this, and um, I'm assuming anyone who's going to be listening to this is has already seen the episodes. So the moment where Matt Smith just like you know like cuts, um, I'm forgetting his name. Raymond, uh, yeah, Raymond, yeah. Raymond's head in half. And his tongue is sticking out of the top of his head. And it's like, well, he can keep his tongue is just so shocking and so well done. So that's that's a fantastic bit of television in general. Yeah. So tell me about this episode in general. I think I want to start with the fact that you have talked about that it was very difficult shooting a couple sequences where basically everyone who's anybody in the cast is in a sequence together and uh we got a couple we got the big dinner scene the most awkward dinner scene of all time and balancing all these very dynamic characters in terms of coverage and deciding what to emphasize can't be easy so tell me a little bit i guess we'll start with the dinner scene tell me about blocking that and putting that together in general sure yeah well so the dinner scene um Fun fact was actually the very last scene that we shot in the entire schedule of the entire season. Oh, wow. Which is not usually how you end a season's <laughs> worth of shooting on like such a massive scene with all the major players. You know, usually you wrap it up on like some little inserts, but this was like literally like, you know, because of a number of factors, like there we were shooting this scene as, you know, our, on our final day of shooting. But um, but that for us was great in a way because it meant that we had a lot of time to, you know, think about the scene and plan how we wanted to do it and, you know, and really work with the other departments, you know, in trying to, you know, figure out just simple things like, you know, how how to stage it in in the space where we had. So So for example, like, you know, it's meant to happen in a sort of intimate dining hall in the Red Keep, but, you know, we wanted, the the producers wanted us to reuse, you know, a a room that was already built. So we, 
we worked with the production designer, Jim Clay, um, and the set decorator, Claire Richards, to essentially reconfigure the small council chamber, um, mm. you know, which is a which is a room that we're in a lot throughout the season. But, you know, but they changed all the windows and we oriented the table differently. And that orientation of the table, you know, came to us not just because we thought, OK, well, that will make the room feel different, but also you know, because we, because we always refer to the scene as the last supper and, and, you know, and that's obviously like a very famous, iconic, you know, painting and image with, you know, Jesus at the head and, you know, and all of his disciples on either side. And so that's, you know, that's how we decided to stage the scene with sort of Viserys being the focal point and, you know, and the greens are on one side and the blacks are on the other. And, you know, and you have the one generation, the older generation on uh, on one side and the younger generation on the other. And those simple, you know, ultimately simple blocking choices were really helpful then in then determining, you know, how we covered the scene and showed, you know, some of those, some of those dynamics, you know, between, between the two sides, between the generations, that sort of thing. That's what's happening in that scene. Yeah. So I was also curious, I guess, generally, I guess we have that scene and while we have the even more interestingly shot sequence that I kind of prompt at the beginning when everyone is in the uh, the main throne hall. And yeah. it's um, I mean, I guess some of how in both of these scenes who we're going to focus on, you know, that comes out in the edit. I'm sure you covered everything, but um, I was curious just in general with both of these sequences in terms of kind of, was there any kind of POV camera work? Is there anything you did in camera to kind of bring out the emotions that the characters are probably feeling in both of these scenes? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I'm really glad you asked that because I think that's, that was our primary goal really, um, you know, throughout this entire episode. And in these two scenes, which like you say, you know, they're massive and all the characters are there. So it becomes even a greater challenge to sort of like, strip it down to like, you know, the essential moments of like what's going on for this character in this moment versus this moment and and who should we prioritize and where do we want to put the camera really? Whose story are we telling? And, you know, and so that's why, you know, the director Gita Patel and I, we we really chose to focus throughout the entire episode. Um, and these scenes were no exception on what we called the hero triangle, which is Viserys sort of at the at the head of the whole thing. And then Rhaenyra on the one hand and Alison really on the other. So, you know, in, in the throne room, for example, like there's a really big moment when Viserys shows up, you know, and nobody's expecting, you know, him to come. And and that's a lot of the tension is will he or won't he? And, you know, and when he does the fact that he does show up is important to every single character in that room, you know, like it changes something for every single person there. So of course, you know, it's important to, to see everybody's reaction, but the main person who we wanted the camera to be with is really him because that to us seemed like, you know, the most emotional place to put the camera is walking into that room with him for the first time, making that journey you know, that long journey <laughs> across that massive room, which, you know, when Patty did it for the first time, because we didn't know how, you know, we we had thought mm -hmm. about it for so long, like what it was going to be like, but we didn't know exactly how he was going to perform it. And just watching him do it for the first time, we were just like, 
oh my God, you know, because we had a body double there that day who was supposed to do some of that stuff for the wides and stuff like that. But just, you know, how much sort of detail he put into the posture and the movement, like nobody could do it like him. And so anyway, so we, we, we definitely, you know, thought it's most important for the camera to be with him for this, but we also, you know, I was definitely cognizant of like not wanting to you know, physically exhaust him to be perfectly honest. So, you know, so the camera has to track across the floor with him, but, but because we want to do it in as few takes as possible, we actually, I had the key grip sort of, you know, cause we did use a lot of steady cam throughout the season, which um, is a departure from, I think what they did in Thrones. And we did that because we really like moving with characters and seeing the world from characters perspectives. But in the case of Patty's walk across the room, I had the key grip rig two cameras on a, on a rickshaw and stabilized heads just so we could get, you know, a wider shot and a tighter shot and at once and not have him have to do it, you know, so many times because it was anyway, it was exhausting. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So another thing that stands out, I mean, the whole, the season as a whole, but uh, certainly in this episode, there's a lot of scenes shot in pretty extensive darkness. And I know that, something that the DPs on Game of Thrones struggled with, especially when shooting for footage that was going to be compressed ultimately, was sometimes they'd get complaints about it being too dark. You guys didn't really run into that. Clearly, you seem to have mastered the problem. So I was curious, some of these scenes, um, like in Viserys' bedchamber, it's at night, there might be a storm in the background, but you don't even have candles there. So uh, tell me a little bit about what you do in terms of lighting sources to show the gloom it's very dark but also making sure the audience sees everything yeah well thank you for asking that it's it is a good question it is something that we continue to sort of struggle is not exactly the right word but it's you know it's it's a constant challenge on the show because i think we you know the show should be dark the subject matter is dark you know the characters you know have have dark things happening to them all the time it's drama and so the way you show that a lot is through shadow and contrast and you know and leaving things to the viewer's imagination and it is challenging to do that in the era of television and streaming when you don't know you know how an audience is watching something they could be watching it on their phone in broad daylight and then be you know, sending nasty tweets about how they can't see anything. So, um, so it, it is, it is difficult, but I think the, the scene you are um, remarking on when Rainier comes to Viserys's bedchamber in the middle of the night, you know, to beg him to be there for her. I mean, so first of all, the way I approach, you know, how to light a scene is always just, you know, what's the reality of the situation? What would be the real world motivators for the light. And I think in that instance, you know, I asked Gita, like, do you think she would have come to his bedside, you know, with a candle? Like, would she have walked through the halls, you know, lighting her way? And, and Gita said, like, honestly, I don't think so. Like she's creeping in there. Like this should, this scene should happen in the dark, you know? And so then how do you see characters when there is no light source, when it's dark? Well, the only other source is moonlight. And like you say, there's a storm out there. So in addition to moonlight, there's lightning. And so, yeah, so then that's that's the source. That's where everything has to be motivated from. It has to come from, you know, it has to come from the window. And happily in that room, there was a window. So, so yeah. I used it. Um, 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Yeah. Okay. So one scene where you got a lot of candles, the uh, embalming room or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very striking scene. You have all of the candles arrayed behind you. Tell me a little bit about lighting that scene. Yeah, so that's, um, we called that scene the Silent Sisters scene. It's a scene where they're sort of preparing Vaman's body. So it happens directly after the throne room scene. So you've had this sort of explosive, dramatic scene, all the characters, blah, blah, blah. And then you cut to this really sort of small, quiet moment, which is just a moment for Rainice really in our episode because she winds up not going to the family dinner so it's just a last moment with her sort of establishing you know her familial connection um you know to Vaymond and her sort of place in the whole sort of drama of the show really and so yeah I mean it it's a really small scene but but I absolutely loved shooting it. To be honest with you, we were originally meant to shoot it on location in Spain mm. and we had a gorgeous sort of old church that we were going to do it in. And um, because of COVID, various things about our Spain schedule had to change and we we lost the opportunity to do it in that location, um, which we were sad about. But then we, you know, we we worked again with the production designer Jim and set decorator Claire to again transform. You'll never guess the small council chamber. <laughs> <laughs> that again? Room. Okay. That, How many locations <laughs> was the small council chamber in? No, don't tell me. It'll spoil the illusion. But now I'm going to keep an eye out. Like, is this the small council yeah. chamber? Yeah. Well, that's the thing. In our episode, it was just it was just a running gag. Like, what else can we put in this room? So. So yeah, so once again, we were like, let's orient everybody in a different direction, like, you know, so basically, and yeah, and so, so the candles became like, obviously, the chief lighting motivator, um, but also, you know, also sort of, you know, it, I, I think it really helps to set the the tone and the mood for the scene, which, you know, which is, which is a sort of like, you know, religious sort of rite of passage moment as well so um so yeah in the end I was really happy with how that scene turned out um despite the fact that we we did it on <laughs> on a set yeah. that we shot a lot of other stuff on yeah it was all good <laughs> there's uh there's a couple just kind of quick shots I noticed one is and this is also probably the production designer I'm sure but um there's a shot in the Godswood um, where, you know, you have these wonderful reds on the tree. And it's it's really quite a bit of contrast from uh, an episode that in a lot of ways is pretty desaturated. But you have this just of color. Mm -hmm. And I know that's not just this episode, but I was kind of curious about that. Yeah, well, I think it's that's a very um, yeah, that's a holdover, obviously, from Game of Thrones that the Godswood tree, you know, has that color to it. I mean, to be honest with you, that tree is greatly sort of uh, exaggerated and 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 expanded um, by VFX. So yeah. so the production design department only builds like a small part of it. And 
Yeah, but that's, you know, that's a scene where, you know, I forget how many pages that scene is, but let's say it's like three and a half or something pages of dialogue and and the script says dusk. Mm. And um, and so that's always a fun photography <laughs> challenge, <laughs> which is how to how to shoot a scene all day outside um, and make it and make it look like dusk. So, you know, so we worked very hard to um, to yeah block out all the light, essentially, and, and to make it feel because we really we wanted that scene. You know, that's the scene that happens right before um, Rhaenyra winds up going to see her father. Like um, and so and so, you know, the fact that. You know, I, th- there was there was some version of it in in Gita's head, not on the script, but in Gita's head, where like we actually wanted the storm, you you to feel like the storm is coming in that scene, so mm-hmm. that in the next scene when she comes to Viserys and it's raining and lightning, like you know, there's been a sort of, I mean, there's obviously some time passage, but that helps to transition. So, you know, so we had the special effects like blowing the wind and the leaves around, and you know, and I blocked out all the light to try to make it feel very much like end of day which which relates to her you know emotional state like this is this is my last opportunity to you know she's pleading with Rhaenys in that scene to help her and the next scene she's pleading with Viserys and this is all just like whatever she can do because on the you know the the next day she's going to have her succession not just like like formally tried basically Mm -hmm. like uh, and then another thing you do is obviously you're a big fan of shooting through things in the foreground. So I loved um, you have one shot, I think, where the camera's behind one of the stars of the seven and we shoot through there. And there's a scene in the small council room, I think, where you have you're shooting through kind of like um, a window frame where the panes are blocked out. That's mm-hmm. obviously a little you trademark, but I just wanted to see if there's anything you wanted to say about that yeah well I think you know like in the case of shooting when we shot through the star of the seven you know that's part of the sequence of Rhaenyra coming back to the red keep for the first time um you know she's been away for six years and this is her coming back to this place that used to be her home and she doesn't recognize it you know she she says that in that scene I don't recognize it and so you know to be able to show that sort of difficult I mean, it it was just something we thought about for a while. And with, you know, again, with the production designer, Jim Clay, you know, asking the question like, well, what is different about this place and how can we show that? And that Star of the Seven, you know, for us became like the obvious sort of symbol Mm -hmm. of like, you know, there's a new, you know, Allison's in charge now. You know, so we shot we shot through it, not just because, you know, it's cool, but but (laughs) really because, you know, because it's like it's big in the foreground and she's small and sh- and she's feeling the sort of like overwhelmingness of Allison having all the power in the situation and you know and and she's coming back to this place you know yeah feeling much sort of on the on the back foot you know what I yeah. mean so, so it's so it's emblematic of this sort of power relationship and then we cut from there to you know we th- this was a transition that you know that we that we designed and happily the editor and Gita you know put it in their cut and it stayed continuous so that, you know, you see the star of the seven, you see Rhaenyra looking at it and then you cut and you're in a new, you know, you see the star of the seven again, but now you're in the small council chamber and mm. that transitions you into seeing Allison at the head of the small council chamber table for the first time, you know, again, like just connecting the dots of like who's in charge now and, you know, who's, who's running the red keep now. Yeah. 
Oh, I, lo- I love the little how much thought your team has put into this and little details <laughs> like that. Uh, last thing I like to ask with anyone who worked on this show, um, what uh, other than Last Supper, what paintings did you look at? Because I remember in Game of Thrones, someone had, I think, cited Caravaggio's Calling of St. Matthew, which is one of my favorite paintings ever. Uh, mm. I was curious if you have any that you've directly kind of referencing or riffing off of in here. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I mean, the the Last Supper is is the most obvious one that comes to mind. You know, I mean, I, I think most people on the show, you know, do reference Caravaggio and Vermeer and some of the yeah. like, you know, like na- natural light masters, basically, because that's like I said, like those are the sources we're working with. We're working with daylight, sure. moonlight, candlelight, and that's it. Um, and those those are two painters who you know who are motivating, you know, similarly. So anyway, that's what I got. Okay. <laughs> okay so uh, I can't wait to see your work on season two without spoiling anything. Are you getting to play around with something that's even bigger in scale? You know, are we, this is a very uh, kind of intimate episode. So season two, are you getting to do anything? Well, I'll just say this, you know, we, Gita and I were both aware that you know we were shooting season one house of the dragon and our episode had zero dragons (laughs) so i think both of us were really making it a goal for ourselves to not only come back um but to get some dragons next time around okay i can't wait i'll leave it hanging there but yeah so anyway it's it's great to be back and working with gita again and um yeah i'm excited for everybody to see what well, we're done. Oh, I can't wait to see it. So <laughs> thank you so much <laughs> and uh, good luck this Emmy season. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me, Will. Of course. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Will Mavity's interview with the cinematographer for House of the Dragon, Episode 8 of Season 1, The Lord of the Tides, Catherine Goldschmidt, here on the Next Best Picture podcast. Catherine Goldschmidt is nominated for an Emmy Award for Outstanding Cinematography for a series, and House of the Dragon is nominated for nine Emmy Awards, including Outstanding Drama Series, and is up for your consideration. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we will see you all next time. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.